Today, we talk about staying in the third chair. Chair number one is to reject the message of Jesus Christ. Some of you think, what are they talking about the third chair? These people must be weird. Well, we are, but this will make some sense. The first chair is just to forget and to reject Jesus. The second chair is to make some superficial religious changes. And the third chair that we're all trying to be in is to just surrender your heart to the Lord. Now, here's the good news of this morning's message, is that you can stay in the third chair. Sometimes the way we talk about this is it's like I've got to be moving back and forth and back and forth. Today, James is going to give us some instructions that will say, despite the fact that you're not perfect, despite the fact that you don't always perform to where you want to perform, you can be in this third chair for the rest of your life. Now, we've been talking the last few weeks about some obstacles to keep you from that chair. Number one, if you're taking notes, is a distracted heart. We had a great discussion last week about all the things that distract us from keeping our focus on Jesus. We especially, at least I've had this week, some great discussions about social media and how Facebook and texting and tweeting and all those things can keep us so enamored that we don't focus on what really, really matters. In fact, I love this cartoon that Lil Martin sent me about what the Garden of Gethsemane would look like today. Guys, show that if you would. Then he returned his disciples and found them texting. Can you not keep watch for one hour without texting? I like that. I wonder if we can make it an hour and 15 minutes this morning without texting, right? We've got all these distractions that pull us away because Satan wants to keep you out of that third chair. Uh, the second obstacle is a deceived heart. And that's what James is going to deal with in our passage today. It's so easily, it's easy for us to be deceived. To think we're okay, and that's the problem with this second chair, when we're not okay. We see that play out in America all the time of people who think they're better at something than they really are. Anybody ever watch the opening rounds of America's Got Talent? Or American Idol? And these people who actually think they can sing? Who sing about like I do? I mean, at least I know better than to get on there, right? We're easily deceived to think we're better than we are. And spiritually, the big issue here is that we can be deceived to thinking we're okay with God when God doesn't have our heart. When we've just bought into a superficial religion, when I just think, well, you know, I'm better than most folks at work and I come to church and, and that, ought to be, that ought to be good enough. And James says, no, 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 it, it's not enough just to hear the word. It's not just to plop your bottom down at the right place at the right time. It's about where your heart is. So how do we stay in that third chair? Go with me to the book of James, verse, chapter 1, verse 19. And let's look at an action plan to stay in the third chair, 19 through 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. The first action step is I must receive God's word. 
We have all these distractions that get in the way. One of the greatest, obviously, is, is anger and moral filth. And he even says, we need to learn to be slow to speak. One of the problems in America today is that we all are always speaking. We think we've got to comment on everything. So we're going to send that tweet out or we're going to make that comment on Facebook. We all feel like we need to be heard. Even if you just cooked your grandmother's macaroni and cheese and took your dog on a walk, you think the rest of us want to know about that, all right? And so we're always putting this information out there. And where James would say, if you want to be where you need to be, you need to be slow to speak. You need to listen more than you talk. And you need to especially listen to God's word. I, I like the words that he uses here. You accept God's word. You welcome God's word. God's word ends up being implanted in you. Many of us can remember when we first became a Christian and we're so excited about the Lord and we couldn't stay out of this book. It was just every word just came off the pages, straight into our heart, and we just dug into it constantly. How many of us need to learn again to seek the truth of God's Word? Let me ask you this. Is there any chance that God's Word could say something to you today in this assembly that would change your life? Or do we just come and simply listen? He says, we got to welcome it. And then beyond that, keep reading James 1, 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Second, not only must I receive God's word, I must reflect on God's word. What is the purpose of looking in the mirror? We might put it this way. It's to assess the damage from the night before, all right? We get up and we look in the mirror to see what we look like, to reflect on that, to see what we would rather look like. And God's word is so similar. He says what you need to do is you need to focus. You don't need just to glance in the mirror. You need to gaze into the mirror. The, the word literally means is to stoop down to see yourself. And so we don't just superficially come into assembly like this just to receive the word. We come in here to, to reflect. Now let me give you three steps of that. When you first see the Word of God, it can cause you to examine yourself. Because when you look in that mirror, it's a little spooky sometimes, but God's Word is so living and active that you will see yourself. You will see your blemishes. I, I like the, the Charlie Brown character, Sally, who was talking about the book of Revelation, but she got the name wrong. She called it the book of reevaluation. And the truth is, that's not just about revelation. That's what the Bible is. It's a book of reevaluation where I look into my heart and see what God wants. Now, listen, sometimes that's rather discouraging. I don't like what I see in the mirror. There are changes that need to be made. 
And that brings us to the next step of reflection, which is surrender. Because when you look at God's Word and you see God's standard, you immediately notice that you can't live up on it, up to it on your own. And so it, it causes you to get back to that third chair of surrender where I go, you know, Lord, I gotta have your help. I, I like what James says. He says, the person who looks intently, and this almost sounds contradictory, into the perfect law that gives freedom. We don't normally put together the word law and freedom in the same sentence. But James understands that the purpose of the commands of God is not to cramp your style, it's to give you freedom. Jesus says, you shall hear the truth and the truth shall set you free. It's the things of this world and our addictions and our sin issues that put us in bondage. It's God's word that frees us. So I begin to surrender. And then I begin to be transformed. You see, because the deeper you look into this mirror of God's word, the more you'll not only see yourself, but you will see God. Listen to a similar passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What does Paul say here? He says the amazing thing about this new covenant is that when you look into the mirror of God's Word, you see Jesus. And the more you focus on Jesus, the more you begin to reflect Him. It's not you growing yourself. Your only responsibility in this third chair is to keep your focus on Him. His responsibility is to change you. You ever get that mixed up? And you're going to be very discouraged. He is going to change you. You are going to focus on him. So when the child of God looks into the word of God, he sees the son of God and is transformed by the spirit of God into the image of God. That's what happens in this third chair. When I begin to take the time to reflect on what God has said in my life. So... There's one more point here, and it's been all over these passages. I must respond to God's word. I receive it, I reflect on it, and I respond. That's why when you have your, your daily quiet time, Bible study time, whatever you may call it, don't just rush through it. Before, before you start, just ask God to speak to you. Welcome him. Welcome his word into your heart. Spend some time reflecting on it. Best practice I have, at least it helps me, is to take a passage that's maybe not too long and at least read it three times. And the third time, underline the things I think God's saying to me. Reflect on it. And then respond to it. You know, what, what James is saying over and over is the deceived person is the person who hears God's word and doesn't do something about it. James says the person who's right with God is the person who does what it says. Because it's not enough just to just to take in and take in and take in. Some point you've got to exercise. Saw something on TV not too long ago about the fattest people on earth. And talk about the people. We're not talking about we're talking about people over a thousand pounds. Who, who, who the shows are, they can't even get out of bed. They can't get out they are completely 
stuck and all that they can do is eat and they receive and they receive and they receive and they get worse off and worse off and worse off. Guys, if we're not careful spiritually, if all we're doing is receiving and all we're doing is coming to church and going to Bible class and, and just receiving and receiving and receiving and we're not acting, then spiritually we become bloated. He says, you've got to go and you've got to act. Now, what does that look like? What is the response? Now, James gets pretty specific. Look at verses 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted from being polluted by the world. You want to know what kind of religion is acceptable to God? James tells us. Now, we've... we've, We've turned religion into a bad word today. I mean, you can go on, you know, YouTube and find all kinds of incredible videos that say some really good stuff that says, I'm Christian, but I'm not religious. Well, James isn't worried about you being religious. Uh, To James, that is not a bad word. In fact, the word here simply means the outer forms of worship. And what James is saying is, If you want to consider yourself a worshiper of God, it's not enough just to come on Sundays and do the right ritual. It's to live the right life. When I was growing up in church, I think we probably heard this prayer every Sunday. It was a good prayer. Lord, help what we do here today to be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Anybody ever heard that prayer? Over and over again. That's a great prayer. But listen to me. That prayer does not only need to be prayed about this assembly. It needs to be prayed about our lives. And James tells us what kind of real worship, true worship, true religion is acceptable to God. So you might not just pray that prayer when you walk in here it may be more important to pray that prayer when you walk out of here. And James explains it to us. What is the evidence that I am walking and receiving and reflecting on God's word? The evidence is a worshipful heart. Now, how does that show up? This is really important in this lesson, these last two points. My life increasingly displays God's character. James says, when you begin to walk close to God, you begin to reflect God. It's just like 2 Corinthians 3.18. We reflect him as we behold him. And my life is going to increasingly, not perfectly, but increasingly display God's character. And James gives us two illustrations. It's in our mind and it's through our mouth. Our mind becomes unpolluted and our mouth becomes more holy. So you want to know if you're sitting in this third chair, you want to know whether your life is a worship to God, what's going on in your mind and what's coming out of your mouth. Is it reflecting the character of God? You see, the more we grow, guys, spiritual growth is not about a checklist of what I do. Spiritual growth is about a character that I become. I become more and more like God. 
And then number two, my life increasingly displays God's heart for the helpless, the homeless, and the loveless. It displays God's heart. How do you know you're where you ought to be spiritually? How is your heart and my heart to the powerless? You see, we tend in our culture to be drawn and to revere the powerful. Our God is drawn to the powerless. And the more I become like him, the more I reflect him. Just listen to these scriptures. Just listen to these scriptures from the Bible about the heart of God. God says, Psalm 82, give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Deuteronomy 27, cursed is anyone who denies justice to foreigners, orphans, or widows. Psalm 147, the Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widows. Deuteronomy 10, 18, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, gives him food and clothing. Who does God's heart go out to? It goes out to the people that everybody else may be overlooking. Oh, and that list could be so long, couldn't it be? So long of people. I mean, you notice some of the things that God brings up here? Immigrants. What's our attitude toward immigrants? I'm not talking about law right now. I'm talking about people. What's our attitude toward people that are widows and that are orphans and people that are in the sex slave industry and people that are being affected by that and people who don't have enough water to drink? And We could go on and on of the destitute and the left out and the ostracized and those in the fringes of culture. And James says here so clearly, if you want to really worship God in a way that's acceptable in his sight, You care about those people. And and James gives two very specific illustrations. Widows. You know, there are right at 30 widows in our church here. And one of the the unseen and unspoken about ministries in this church is named after this verse. It's our ministry to the widows called James 127. And then today we celebrate our ministry to orphans. And I love the name of our ministry, the Father's Heart, because that truly is the Father's Heart. Do you know in the world today, there are over 143 million orphans? In our country, where sometimes it seems like there's nobody to adopt, there there are over a half a million people involved in our foster children, involved in foster care. And that's the heart of God. And that's the heart that we want to to focus on in our lives. And we focus on today. That's why we dedicate a Sunday for Orphan Sunday. And we're going to dedicate some money in just a moment to Agape, an organization that works so powerfully to help us in that. Did you hear Jimmy Dobbs at the end of last Sunday say that For the first time in Agape's history, they have more 
children to place and to help than they have resources to accomplish? That the opportunities are here and the resources are here? And that they're having to actually turn down families today because of a lack of resource? My friends, we have a chance to do something about that in just a few moments. But more than just do something about that, we have a chance to grow in our character into the image of God. We're about to watch a video and then hopefully we're gonna be able to interview a family that's been involved in this. These are the Bridgers, they live in Birmingham. They're part of an orphan adoption from Congo. They have quite a story. And we wanted you to hear from them today as we contemplate what we're going to do in our heart. Let's watch this video. See if we've got them. All right, Stephen and Wellen, are you guys with us? Hey. Hey, how are you? You guys understanding? It is. It's good to be with you guys. We understood that, yes. It's good for us to be with you guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. Could y'all tell us just a little bit about your, about your story? Sure. <laughs> that, that may be enough. Share a little bit about our story is I think what, what I heard you say. So, um, we, Stephen and I have got uh, twins, boy-girl twins, um, and when they, they were um, about 15 months old, we started the adoption process, um, and uh, were originally in a pilot program with the TRC, with the Democratic Republic of Congo, the big Congo that folks tend to think of. Um, we were part of the pilot program, and so we waited um, and saw that program sort of, you know, take shape. Waited for about two years, and we were matched with um, twin boys. Um, we were thrilled, so excited, and spent the next year really um, working. Somebody pull a plug. Are <laughs> at all? 
they um, had a mother who um, wanted to be with them, a father, this is a married family family with teenage daughters, with a son, um, and as sort of pieces and little bits of information came out over the coming weeks, um, learned that really it was a situation where the mother had been exploited in her desperation to um, let her boys be part of an adoption process that we don't believe that that was ever really something she had, would have allowed to follow through with. And so they had been back with their birth family for about three months when um, we actually were told um, this. And so we took it um, on ourselves really to say this is a family. There's no way we can proceed. And we stepped away from that adoption process. Um, even sometimes in spite of other folks who were saying, well, maybe they want their kids to have a better life in the United States. Um, but we knew that that was, not, that was not the godly thing to do to keep a family apart. And so we stepped away from that process. Tina, do you want to share a little bit after that? Yeah, yeah and so me... once we, um, yeah. we kind of got to that place, we realized we needed to kind of sit back and re- Reconsider what, what a Christ honoring international adoption looks like. More than because they were living out the gospel and how they ministered uh, to widows and orphans. And that's one of the things that we quickly realized that for so much of what people look at as adoption. Uh, and kind of how we are as believers in interacting in those worlds, people look at the orphan part, but you forget about the widows. And so through a lot of, you know, really the Lord kind of putting us uh, in connection with a group, we became connected with Moana villages. And so being, after we were connected with Moana, we realized this organization that we want to support long-term, uh, no matter if we adopt from there or not. But through Moana, we got to know uh, Leila Daniel. Can I ask? Can I ask you this question, um, uh, Stephen Wellen? How did you get past the hurt of that first experience to move on? Because I know that had to be so discouraging. For us, we had spent a year actually to the day, the day that we filled out the day uh, um, that they were. Not who we thought that they were with one year for the day that we were matched with them. So we had spent that year really considering them as our children that we were fighting for. Um, and it was it was devastating. But I'll tell you that you know the, the Lord really gave us in the midst that it was so right. And for me it was one of those things that, you know, the, the emotions were okay to have it was okay to grieve that loss of what we thought our family would look like um a very difficult you know coming to terms with with that we had been sort of deceived in many ways for a year um but we knew that the lord had um you know what's good what's good So he gave us a real sense of peace, even in the midst of something that was heartbreaking. Um, really just to step away and sort of cling to each other and grieve together and really have, have an increased resolve to um, to be committed to you know godly orphan care that's more holistic in nature. 
Well, let, let me ask, ask this question. Now that you've worked through that and, and uh, now you have these children, what, what's, been the, what's the great blessing of being a part of adoption? The great blessing, apart from adoption. Yeah, what's been the great, after yes, after working through all of this, how has this blessed you? Oh man, you know, I feel like in many ways, <laughs> you could hear some background noise. In many ways, I feel like the Lord has really set our family on a path of ministry that we had hoped would be part of our lives, but didn't really know what that would look like. And we're now so closely involved with this incredible organization and that is doing so, so much good in the lives of not just orphan children, but older children, vulnerable families, widows, mothers who are struggling to support their children. It has been an amazing, amazing privilege for us to um, to work with this organization. And we feel like this is something that the Lord has, you know, has for us for um, for many, many, many years to come. And now we have the additional wonderful connection that these two little munchkins um, are part of that wonderful place and this wonderful people who cared for them and loved them and helped to shape their early little minds and hearts until they came to be part of our family. Well, get, answer, if you would, one more question for us. I, I hear you talking about this organization that we know Agape is partnering with called Moana. Could, could you tell us what makes this organization so very special and different? Yeah, um, well, I mean, the difference is... Uh, you know, the biblical mandate to be involved with orphans. We so often forget about the widows. We forget about that portion of it. And, um, and so... Uh, that is something that Moana does very well. Um, the things that, you know, really uh, uh, are apparent to really see the gospel of doubt is to go see our, um, to go see the mothers who showed up there um, with a plan to abandon their child because they could not raise her. And instead of just taking that child and, and what organizations could say, well, that's great. From a financial perspective, we could get this child adopted, get money for her and that could be great. They said, uh, why don't you just come stay with us? And so that was Deborah, and that was, how long ago was that? that she... Works there. She now has income, has a home, a beautiful home. Um, and so, so I think that may be the best example of kind of what sets one apart from other organizations. Turning away from what the world might say to be success, turning away from financial opportunity and really clinging to what what we believe the you know the heart of Christ is in caring for these families that we see in the Bible. Well we want to th- we want to thank you guys for joining us this morning. I hope you can hear the applause of the church. Thank you for the example this year being to all of us. Thank you. with four kids five years and under <laughs> i think we just got a good picture of what adoptive family sounds like thank you very much well this morning 
um, we're going to ask John Noel Thompson to come up and share with us a little bit his perspective on adoption. But before, as he comes, I'd like you to look at this passage again with me, James 1.27, which is our theme today. And I'd like you to read this out loud with me. As you think about your worship today being acceptable to God, let's remember the definition that James, the brother of Jesus, has given us. Read this out loud with me. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. John Noel, would you come? And uh, John's going to share with us, and then we are going to take up our collection, and then he's going to lead us also around the table. Good morning. This is a very special day, and, and I'm just blessed to be a part of it. I must confess, though, I think sometimes folks look at our family of eight and probably wonder and think that some are adopted, <laughs> and, and, and none are adopted. But let me also confess this. We do have those days where we think, wow, this would be a great opportunity to send a couple of our kids with whomever we invite over for a meal. <laughs> So if we invite you over for a meal, be ready to take a couple, would you? <laughs> it really is a special day. I want to share with you this morning um, a letter. It's a letter that my adoptive mother wrote to me 33 years ago. I found this in my adoption scrapbook, and that's where it's stored. But I want to read it to you and then draw some parallels and, and hopefully um, challenge you in the right way. And this is what it reads. And by the way, I was 13 years old, not quite uh, 14. And uh, my twin and I, at that particular point, um, oh, that was about a, a year and a half after being adopted. So put that in context. About a year and a half after we were adopted, age 13, a letter from my adopted mother. She says, Jean Noel, I love you. I love you, and I know why. I love you because you are my oldest son, and I know I can count on you. I love you because you tell me to smile when things go sour. I love you because you strive for success. I love you because you have knee problems, which sometimes get sore, but miraculously, as football season arrives, the pain disappears. I'm aware of your good actions that bring order into our home. I thank you for your efforts. Be assured of your place in my heart where you are loved. Wow. I mean, it's, it's this type of repetitive building up that has made all the difference, certainly, um, in my life. You know, you, there's so much that this letter says and, and so many things I can talk about, but really what I want to point out here is that never through my experience of my life with my adoptive parents. Never once did I hear them ever talk about their sacrifice or what they did for me or for all the other kids they adopted. And believe me, they could have. We had our baggage. It was not easy. It is work. It is a work. But they never boasted in themselves. They boasted in the Lord. But it was never about them. It was always about how they were trying to build us up. And with me, they were trying to build me up through emphasizing a sense of sonship. I belonged. 
but also letting me know where I contributed to that family. But it was never selfish. Uh, and I you know, just got to thinking, where does that come from? How can people like that, in such an unselfish way, help hurting children? Where does that come from? I think Romans chapter 8 is a good answer. It's a good starting point. Let me read this to you. Verse 12 through 15. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So in summary here, adoption, it's, it's not a social status thing. It's not a social justice thing. If we do it right and we do it selfishly, whether you're adopting or helping someone else to adopt hurting children, it's a spirit thing. And that's what God has given us when we accept and we receive him. Would you bow with me? Father, we are just so, so very blessed as a people. You give us far beyond what we need. Most of all, Lord, you give us your son Christ and the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And Father, as we work through that Holy Spirit, we ask now that you bless what we give back to you. We ask, Father, that you will bless the various ministries of this church, this family. And specifically this morning, Lord, we boldly ask that we will give beyond our comfort levels to support agape. Father, this ministry that reaches out to hurting children, help us, Lord, to make a difference. Because it does. It makes a generational difference. So we thank you for this opportunity. And we thank you for the work that is and will be done through this offering. It's through his precious name that we pray. Amen. What a perfect time for us to offer the invitation for you to come to Jesus. We've just been reminded around the table of how much he loves us. We've just sung about how deep the Father's love is for us. And truly, my friends, that's what this third chair is about, is our response to a loving Father. Because of the cross, there is no question of how much he loves us. The only question remaining is, do we love him back? And so I ask you as we close out this service together, are you sitting in the third chair? The good news from the last few weeks is that if you're not in the right chair, it doesn't take an elaborate process it doesn't take you understanding everything. It doesn't take you working for your salvation. It simply takes you surrendering your heart to him. And then the great news today is that not only can you get to the third chair, but you can stay in the third chair where your character is molded into the character of God and your heart begins to reflect the heart of God. If you don't like the chair you're in, why don't you do something right now about it while we stand together and sing?